This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And in this episode, I didn't realize this until I kind of got a little further into the prep for what I was planning on talking about right now, but it kind of has a similar theme to especially the episode about Joseph in prison. But I feel like, you know, as I think back on a few of the recent episodes, not when I had Mavis or Steven in to talk about specific counseling related things, but as I've been talking through scripture and looking at some passages that I believe connect with where we all find ourselves in life at various points, I've realized that I'm seeing a trend here and I'm wondering, like I'm realizing, man, am I going through something a little bit more than I realized that I was going through right now? I'm not sure because this is uh, another passage from Philippians chapter four that is talking about how in the middle of tough circumstances, how we can, instead of zeroing in and focusing on what we're facing and what we're dealing with, how we can find peace and find hope and find that our connection with God is the top priority, is the most important thing, is bigger than and more uh, more important, more powerful, more meaningful than some of the tough stuff that we find ourselves facing in the moment. And so I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 4, and this is going to start in verse 4. Paul, he's writing to a church that based in Philippi, as you can tell from the name of the book, he founded this church on his second missionary journey. And when he got there, he found that a lot of the people who lived in this community, in this town, were ex-Roman soldiers. It just became a spot where a lot of those soldiers, as their tours of duty ended, where they landed. And so, he found that the city had a really Roman flavor. And you'll see as we look at some of the ways that he talks about how God is at work, he does it in a way that connects with what would be his Roman non-Jewish audience. And so he starts writing, like I say, we're going to start in verse four, but If we just read verse 4 and move on from there without knowing something really significant about Paul's circumstances at the time of writing this, we can miss out on a huge component, a huge piece of what makes this passage so meaningful and so significant. Because Paul, at the time he's writing the book of Philippians, he was in jail. He was thrown in jail for preaching. So he's essentially, if you think about it this way, he's stopped from completing his life's work of spreading the gospel. He's facing a possible death penalty. And in the middle of that, he's writing 
to encourage the Philippians. This is, uh, you know, usually his letters have somewhere in them a correction or a rebuke or something where he's saying, hey, you're doing a pretty good job overall, but here's something that you really need to work on. This letter isn't that way. Uh, I mean, there are some kind of warnings. He's kind of being cautionary and preventative a little bit, but it's not like there's some huge problem that he's writing to try to address. And so remember, as I read these words, he's writing this in jail because of preaching, and he's awaiting a potential death penalty. He writes this in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now I want to pause there. We're going to continue and read the next couple verses. But I want to pause there because reading what he's written here, knowing his circumstances, think about that for a minute. Nobody can rejoice in the Lord while in jail, naturally. Nobody can be naturally anxiety-free while they're waiting for potentially the death penalty. Nobody can do that stuff unless their thinking has been changed. And, you know, we talk about this sometimes. It's kind of a phrase that people in the church use. We talk about... uh, the peace that passes understanding. And when Paul is writing that phrase in the version I just read it from, it says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's writing in a moment where he knows very, very, very well that he doesn't have, based on his circumstances, he doesn't have any reason to have peace. He doesn't have any reason to rejoice. He doesn't have any reason to be anxiety-free and to be grateful. But he's experienced this peace that passes understanding. Sometimes the way that I talk about it Because I think it can be easy when you hear something so many times. You hear over and over and over, peace that passes understanding, peace that passes understanding. It just becomes a phrase that we say, right? It's like how we greet people when we see them and we say, how you doing? We don't mean, how are you doing? We mean, hi. That's what we're trying to communicate, just hi. And I think sometimes we can hear this idea, peace that passes understanding, We can hear it so many times that it becomes one of those things where the actual meaning of it is lost. And so the way I talk about this peace, I don't say this peace that passes understanding. I say when I'm with people 
visiting them in the hospital and praying with them before surgery or as they're waiting for unknown something, I pray with them and I talk about this peace that doesn't make sense. This peace that isn't based on what's happening around us. Because that's what Paul is writing about here. And that's what he's experiencing. So you get this. He's in the middle of finding peace when it doesn't make sense. And he's writing. Like I said, this is uh, a really personal letter that he's writing to a group of people that he started this church. He knows, you know, maybe it grew wildly after he was gone. We don't know. But we know he's going to know a good chunk of these people personally. And so he's writing and saying, look, I've had this experience. God has met me with this peace that doesn't make sense. I mean, you guys know what I'm going through. You know I shouldn't be peaceful right now. But God has met me in this peace that doesn't make sense, is guarding my heart and my mind, and you can experience the same thing. And he goes on in verse 8. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want to pause here for a moment again because, you know, reading a big list of things like that, it can be overwhelming. We're not really wired to hear character trait after character trait after character trait and really absorb all the information. At least I don't think. Maybe you're able to do it, but I'm not. I get easily lost and just hear, okay, yep, Positive, positive, positive. And I've talked about that kind of idea in the past. But the reason that Paul is doing this, uh, he's listing all these characteristics in a way that would have been familiar to his non-Jewish audience. Many of the philosophers in Paul's time, they would make lists of these virtues like that where they wanted to stress the importance of these things to their followers. So these moral philosophers, uh, they comforted people in the middle of difficult circumstances by telling them to turn their minds away from the difficulties that they were facing in the moment and instead think about pleasurable or virtuous or positive thoughts. And because Paul was writing to people who they would have been more familiar with this teaching style than we are, uh, this list probably wouldn't have felt so overwhelming for them. It probably would have been something where they're like, oh yeah, I'm used to this kind of teaching. And I always find it interesting how often when we dig into scripture, we find that the authors are using this sort of teaching style. Not one style across all groups of people, but based on the audience that they're, that they're writing to, 
they're really using the way of communicating that would have been the most natural for them. And so I want to read this verse again with that in mind, that what he's doing here, he's not trying to overwhelm with this list of positive characteristics, of positive ways of thinking. He's writing to a group of people and saying, look, I know that this is already your practice. That when you're in the middle of going through tough stuff, you try to set your mind instead of on this negative or neutral or tough stuff that you're facing in the moment, you instead kind of take your mind out of your circumstances and focus on some positive stuff. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now that last little phrase there, think about such things, uh, the way that the verb think is translated there, it doesn't give us the full picture of what Paul was writing. Because he was, uh, he was writing that verb in a form that was not a one-time thing. He wrote it in a continuous, uh, continuous form of that verb. And so it would be better to translate that as saying, keep on thinking about. So he, he, lists, he lists this whole list of these positive traits. And he says, keep on thinking about such things. Not do it once in the morning and check it off the list. But keep on focusing on this stuff. And I think that part of the reason this passage was really connecting with me right now is because I've been realizing over the last, I don't know, month, month and a half, maybe it's been longer, maybe it's been shorter. I, I didn't, you know, sometimes when you're, uh, when you catch something in yourself, you can't really point to a starting date and say, oh, this is when this started. But I've been realizing lately that it's become more and more natural for me to just go negative about stuff. And like I say, as I think back, I'm like, okay, I think it's been the past month, month and a half that I've just allowed myself uh, to fall into that pattern of, you know, it doesn't start out anything bad. It starts out usually with legitimately negative stuff that's happening. But then as you dwell on that, it becomes way easier to see a normal, natural, neutral circumstance or moment in your day and interpret that in a slightly negative way too. And before I knew it, I found that, you know, a lot of the conversations that I was having, I was looking at, not looking at the person I'm talking to, but just looking at life from a pessimistic 
negative, like, oh man, this happened too, now on top of everything else, kind of a perspective. And it can be really easy once you start down this track to just comfortably stay there, right? And to just keep, yeah, well, this one circumstance with this one person, you know, it's just weighing on me so much. And then you give yourself an excuse to be negative about something else. And before you know it, your mind is just really comfortable in that negativity. And I'm guessing that we've all found ourselves in that situation at one point or another in life. And like I say, I think the reason that this passage was jumping out at me is something that I wanted to talk about, record an episode about, is because I think it was speaking to right where I found myself at the time I was thinking about this passage. I was needing this encouragement, this reminder from Paul of how important it is to think about these positive, uplifting, encouraging things instead of letting my mind just naturally go to the negative, to the frustrating, to the disappointing, to the upsetting, very real stuff that's happening in life, right? But if we're just living there, if we're just constantly focused in on the negative, we just start to interpret more and more and more of life through that lens. Now, remember, Paul is in jail awaiting a potential death sentence at the time he's writing this. So he knows that there are legitimately negative things that we go through. There are legitimately bad circumstances that we find ourselves in. And what he's saying is, in the midst of this, the way forward is instead of wallowing, instead of allowing ourselves to just say, well, yeah, of course I'm in a bad mood. Look at, life sucks right now. How could I not be feeling this? And of course we're going to feel that in the middle of tough stuff. But what Paul is doing is he's offering a way forward to keep on thinking about these positive things. Because we know that you can't really just say, don't think about something. You know, if I, it's a stupid, horrible example, right? But we've all heard that thing before of like, it's impossible to not think about a pink elephant if somebody tells you don't think about a pink elephant because our minds aren't wired to avoid a thought. Our minds are wired to think about things. And so the way to get the negative thought, the way to get the thought about the pink elephant out of your head is you have to think about something else. And so what Paul is saying here is, you know, we have to do more than just avoid bad, evil, harmful, negative thoughts. We have to actively think about excellent, praiseworthy, 
lovely things. And earlier in Philippians, in chapter 2, Paul wrote about this idea that uh, the Philippians, and by extension followers of Christ, are supposed to shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And I think here in chapter 4, he's telling us partly how we can do that. By no matter where we find ourselves, instead of focusing on the negative, instead of uh, allowing that to be our mindset, we instead actively, continuously, on purpose, think about positive things. And then Paul moves in verse 9 from thinking about into action. He says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And I love that that verse comes right after the thinking verses because Paul moves straight from consider, contemplate, think about into action, into practice. We change our thinking in order to change our actions. So he uses this teaching style that they would have known and understood, this way of thinking about all these positive things, and then he adds a little twist to it. And he says, okay, you know, I don't think that that's quite fully enough. He says, whatever you saw me do or heard from me or you you watched how I lived, whatever you learned, now do it. Put it into practice. And again, the same way he was using this continuous verb for keep on thinking about these things, he's doing the same thing here in this verse about action. Keep on putting into practice the things you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, keep on putting that into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And when I read Paul in tougher circumstances than I've ever been in in my entire life, writing and saying, hey, there's, there's this peace that God offers. It's, it's peace that doesn't make sense. It's beyond something I could explain or describe or help you understand. But it's this peace that God offers. And then he talks about how we experience that. We change the way we're thinking, not by just avoiding negative thoughts, but by instead intentionally, on purpose, focusing on the positive that we see around us the you know think about the list that Paul gives here whatever is true noble right pure lovely admirable excellent or praiseworthy he's saying anything positive guys think about anything positive 
and just keep on thinking about it. But don't stop at thinking. Whatever you saw me do, keep on putting that stuff into practice. And again, he reiterates, and the peace of God will be with you. Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm, uh, I'm speaking to where I'm at right now, and I'm the only one. Um, but I know that I've seen this pattern in me lately of letting myself, uh, I guess, of letting my circumstances get to me of feeling just kind of, and it's weird because I look at what's happening right now in life and I, there's not some big thing where I'm like, what? Yeah, this explains exactly why I'm feeling this way. But I've, I've just been kind of feeling beaten down by several different things lately. And when I read through this, like I say, Paul's facing tougher stuff than what I'm facing. And in the middle of it, he's found that if he changes the way that he thinks, and if that flows into right action, he's talking about this peace that doesn't make sense. This peace of God that will be with you. And in the middle of feeling unsettled, in the middle of feeling um, unpeaceful. I don't think that's a word, but you get what I'm saying. It's really amazing to be reminded that God wants to meet us with his peace. And it's a peace that, that doesn't even make sense. It's a peace that comes from, like Paul says in verse 9, God and the peace that he brings that will be with us in the middle of what we're facing, in the midst of dealing with stuff that we maybe find ourselves not wanting to deal with, not having the energy to deal with, not having any kind of a desire or willingness to step into whatever it is that's facing us in the moment. And Paul's reminding us that no matter where we find ourselves, because he's in an awful circumstance, the peace of God will be with us. And it's a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that doesn't make sense. And I want to remind myself and all of us that no matter what we're facing right now, God is with us and God's peace that doesn't make sense is available for each and every one of us. Let's not miss out on that.